And this is the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly. We've done a number of pieces on this show over the years about arts programs in prisons. And by that I mean visual arts, writing, music, and drama, and the impact they have on the inmates who take part in them. Well, today we're going to talk about an arts program for people after they get out of prison and other detention facilities. It's a theater company called the Poetic Justice Project. Its founder and artistic director is Deborah Tabola. Poetic Justice Project brings stories of crime, punishment, and redemption to the public. So these are stories of what it's like in prison and jail. Members of the Poetic Justice Project have been touring California recently, performing a new play by Deborah Tabola. It's about prison life, and it's called Off the Hook. We have a 15-member cast, and they've all been incarcerated from one night in jail to 38 years in prison. The subject sounds awfully grim. On the other hand, Off the Hook, this play, is a musical. It's a musical drama. I think the music is kind of a counterpoint to some of the seriousness of the drama. You wrote this yourself. Now, have you been incarcerated? No, I just worked there. Just worked there. (laughs) (laughs) I um, have about 12 years in the California Department of Corrections as a creative writing teacher and then as an artist facilitator at the California Men's Colony in San Luis Obispo. Tabola worked for California Arts and Corrections. At one time, it was the largest prison arts program in the country. But it was all but eliminated during the California budget cuts of 2001 and 2002, and what remained of it was done away with completely in the state's latest round of cost-cutting. So Tabola continues her work outside of prison with the Poetic Justice Project. Well, today I'm going to talk to several members of the Poetic Justice Project about their experiences inside and outside prison, and about the importance of arts programs like this one in their lives. And along the way, we're going to hear a little prison slang, so I might as well prep you. There's celly, that means cellmate, pretty obvious. There's jacket, that's a person's image or reputation, often negative, like when a person is branded a snitch, that's a jacket. There's juice card, that's special treatment and privileges given to a prisoner by a guard or other prison staff. And then there's the word car, That takes a little more explaining, so I'm going to leave it for later. So with that, let's hear from our first two interviewees. My name is Herbert Wells from South Central Los Angeles. And who I am, I am, how you say, the ex-con who's actually out here trying to do things to show the youngsters there are ways to avoid prison. And my name is William Brown. Uh, I'm also an ex-convict who... um, is on the right path, who's on the path to to greatness, actually, you know, and I'm trying to, like, block all the, the things that can harm this path or come across it. So I'm just trying to stay focused and be who I can be at the end. You guys okay with that, that term, ex-con? In a sense, you know, to say ex, that means no longer. So, yeah, I, I, I'm sort of kind of happy to say that I'm an ex-convict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with that because I would not take back the things that I experienced in life because it made me the man of who I am today. Hmm. How long have you two been out? Um, I've been out, what, wow, almost two years now. And I've been out about two and a half years now. Hmm. You both met at the California Men's Colony. Yes. Both from South Central Los Angeles. Yes. And you both got out about the same time. 
Yes. Yeah. So it's um, it's pretty recent. Two years is not a long time. Yeah, not. No, not that. Not that. Not that long. How's it yeah. feel? It feels great. <laughs> <laughs> it feels great. <laughs> yeah, you, you can smile at it now. You know, it's been it's been two years. You can breathe. It's you know you were sort of kind of claustrophobic being in there. Always feel like you can't breathe or or was something wrong. But now smelling this fresh air, it's like. It's like a lift. It's you know, it's 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 humbling. It's it's great. So you're still sort of celebrating freedom. Really, more or less appreciating it. More or less appreciating. Well, it. Basically, I'm I'm basically is is back to real world now. So like, real responsibilities and yeah, and just basically trying to situate myself and my family into a better position. Can I ask you guys? And and you're welcome to uh, decline any questions I ask. But can I ask what? Um, Got you in to prison in the first place? I went to prison this time for possession of marijuana for sales. And I went to prison for assault on a police officer. Whoa. And you were in for how long, William? Uh, I was in for a year and a half because of the uh, situation. The, the officer uh, thought he'd seen something that he didn't. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was it was broke down. He said I pulled a firearm on him, but uh, they could never find the firearm. So mm. it broke down from assault to something else. But so did you guys both um, being in California Men's Colony, where uh, Deborah Tabola was teaching in the Arts and Corrections program until State of California eliminated AIC Arts and Corrections? Did you guys both get involved in that program? Um, While you're inside, yes, we did. Um, I actually started working for Mr. Bola. I was working for her for about, I think, two years. She did a lot of um, playwriting classes, so I got a lot of um, experience on writing scripts. And I um, recently wrote a um, fictional novel while I was incarcerated, um, called, called "The Street Is Watching." But basically, I got the idea from doing the plays with Mr. Bola. She kind of. Um, opened up my my writer's bug as they say so it kind of it opens you up it opens you up to where if you understand the saying being free on the inside well actually at my physically i was incarcerated but in my mind i was totally free herbert um were you involved in those arts before you got into the arts and corrections program no, I was I was interested in, in writing music as far as um, rap songs. I did do some of that, but not really until actually I met Mr. Bola did I actually experience acting and writing plays and, and things like that. How about you, William? Um, actually, I never thought about acting until um, I got with Mr. Bola at Arts and Corrections. Never It actually never crossed my mind because it was basically music. I, I, I write a lot of music, so... Um, that was my uh, focus, but uh, when she um, opened up her opened up her heart and her mind to me, and uh, asked me to come and uh, just try out for a position in a play, I mean, you know, it was it was like okay, I'll come down, try out, <laughs> see what you think. But she didn't let me go after that, mm -hmm. so you know mm -hmm. that's why I'm here right now. <laughs> Herbert, did you also get involved in acting then? You become an yes, actor? Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> basically, under Mr. Bola, if you work there, mm. you're going to be involved in any and everything oh. 
that that arts and correction puts on and yes, sir. it was a blessing that I did because it opened my mind to and my um, eyes to a lot of new things. Mm. Now you both mentioned that you had some music um music sort of inclinations and background. So I'd like to uh, play a song from Off the Hook where you guys both perform. It's the business that need to be handled. In any situation, grab your friend It's just the business. It need to be handled. In any situation, grab your friend and visions of my life. Phone in and out murder scenes. And some are full of victims. Others I'm the reason for screen. Praying that God can hear me each time I bow in the call. Because these demons got me. Trumping up my heat on the floor. Every time I call for God, seem like these demons were caught to catch me some more time. Behind these prison cell boards. Some feels on as a rider. Some say I don't got it all. Because I'm quick to hit you and spill your blood on the floor. It's the business. It need to be handled. In any situation, grab your friend, Doc Mountain. It's just a business. It need to be handled. In any situation, grab your friend, Doc Mountain. It's just a business. It need to be handled. So that's you, William, on the hook. It's the business that needs to be handled. In any situation, grab your prey and dismantle. Uh, which, which means... Um, and, and, and that situation, uh, you know, whatever you're searching for is, is basically the business, you know, and it, uh, it, it breaks down to the individual who needs the business brought to him. You basically grab that and dismantle him, break him down. Uh, Prey suggests that there's a predator in this situation. Uh, yes, and, situation. The, and the person who would be singing the song is actually, he actually plays the predator. <laughs> and that would be you, Herbert. Yes, that would be. Who's on lead on that rap. Yes. And uh, tell me about your character who's saying oh, this thing. The character I play now is T-Bone, who is actually the shot caller for the African-American court in the prison. And basically, he's just a uh, no BS type of person. He really, he's just, he's wanting to take care of business if if, if an opportunity comes up. He's not going to have it. He's just automatically rated whatever, whatever. Um, by any means, he's going to alleviate any problems. What's the main rhyme saying? The main rhyme saying um, is basically talking about thinking about what you did in life and where it ended, where where it landed me. Eventually, it landed me in prison, and how you had to always stay on guard and watch what's going on. So you kind of um, adapt to the sense of being a predator. So you was, everybody's around you is a, a temp, potential prey. Mm. So, and that's basically what prison like showed me is basically, uh, you prey on the weak. If somebody's weaker than you, you pray on them or you find someone's weakness and that's how you pray on them. So basically the business song came from that environment. Um, I actually wrote it in CMC. Do you have anything in common yourself with this character T-Bone? Um, at a point of time in my life, yes, I had a, I pretty much had a lot in common with T-Bone, but through the, through the years of incarceration, which I've done quite a few years of incarceration, I kind of, and through programs like Arts and Correction, I kind of adapted a different thought pattern and a way of life. How old were you when you first were in prison? <laughs> I went to prison at a very young age. I guess the earliest age you can actually go. I was 17 and went to prison and got out when I was 20-something, well, 25. And I learned some things and adapted to a way of life that wasn't productive on the streets, which caused me to go right back. And after that time of 
the six years, the last sentence that I had, the six years, that's where I start opening my eyes up to the way I was living and the way I was just basically neglecting my family and my actions. Mm. So, so how old are you now? I am 33 years old. Different stage of life for you. Yes. William, tell me about your character. What's uh, his name and what's he like? Um, I play a character called GQ. And um, GQ is a, a a guy who was at a prison. And uh, he witnessed something being taken in the captain's office. So his conscience starts bothering him. The uh, captain and lieutenant comes and asks what happens. He basically says he didn't have anything to do with it, but he points the individual out. And uh, from right then and there, he's labeled uh, a rat, a snitch. And uh, so they move him to another prison because I guess it's getting kind of hectic. So when he arrives at the prison that T-Bone is at, um, he figures that everything is cool, but unbeknownst to him, there were some other individuals there who knew exactly what happened there. And so when he gets here, he's he's going to basically fight for his life. Does that situation uh, and the play in general, does it strike you as true to life from what you experience? Well, I have never um, been uh, the GQ character. I was more or less one of the, uh, the underlings of a T-bone uh, I would basically chase the GQ character. I was I was one of those individuals. But in some ser- similarities, as far as the the prison life, yeah, I was in prison. Uh, other than that, it's it's not really anything that me and GQ ha- has in common. Other than, but but true to the kinds of things that happen. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that in prison. So you think um, people coming to see the play who who don't really know anything, maybe they've watched Oz or something, but you know, <laughs> exactly, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe they've watched some fictional stuff, which, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of it is just utter BS. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. <laughs> Are they going to learn some real things from this play, you think? I know so. I, um, yes. They definitely will learn a lot. Um, the play in general is taken from um, situations that happened in pretty much every prison in California. If there's a so-called rat or snitch roll up on any yard in any prison in California, there's going to be a situation and he's going to be basically fighting for his life or hiding for his life, whichever way you want to find <laughs> yeah. it. And that's basically, that's basically the gist of, 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 incarcerate the life of an incarcerated fella. Mm-hmm. Well, I could imagine uh, a snitch being someone who just per- betrays someone for his own self-advancement, but I can imagine a person who acts out of conscience, you know, still being called a snitch, you know? Yes. Um, in a prison world, I call it a world because it's pretty much separate from the actual world, what's yes, going it on. It's To be a snitch is a death sentence, point blank it's like for you if if we can't trust you meaning a person a a fellow inmate in blue we can't and we already know we can't trust it's it's basically us against the guards we we don't need you here Mm -hmm. because you will compromise everything we have going well you guys have both talked about a system a hierarchy uh a gang i guess is good good description right you got a shot caller you got an enforcer, 
uh, and you got the the snitch who they're going after. Um, uh, is there any way to stay out of that? Just completely separate yourself from that. <laughs> You're both prison, shaking your head. Yeah, in prison is is basically there's 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 been op- there's been individuals that fought against the um, the prison the prison world yeah. and basically tried to stay um, neutral to, to situations but is is few and far in between mm. this is the seventh avenue project on kusp i'm robert Polly. today a look at the poetic justice project it's a theater program for the formerly incarcerated and in this part of the show we're talking with two of the participants william brown and herbert wells both cast members in the Poetic Justice Project's latest stage production. It's a play about prison life called Off the Hook. Next, Herbert Wells talks about the racial divide in prison, which is one of the play's major themes, and we're going to hear a definition of an expression that Herbert used earlier. The African-American court in the prison. That's it, African-American car. Here's Herbert Wells to explain. Blacks basically stick with blacks, uh... Mexicans basically stick with Mexicans. Whites basically stick with whites. And it kind of, we, we kind of segregate ourselves. At the same time, it's also kind of instructed that we segregate ourselves from the way that we're housed. So it kind of, you kind of just fall into something like that. And then when you're a person that, and you come in young, you see this, you kind of want to be where you will feel safe. And basically, that's how you. That's that's how you feel safe is around the people of your own. So, so that expression though, the black car means all the whole collection of all black yes, inmates, inmates in an institution. Yes. When a new inmate uh, rolls up, you basically kind of point him to his destination or his direction away. No. So basically, you'll point him over to the black car, and if he's uh. from up north, you'll point him over to the up northern brothers and then if he's from down south you point him to the down south brothers and then they'll break down from that point yeah so it so, is it is like getting directions in a, in yeah. a bus station or a train station yes <laughs> yes and uh is there a white car is there yes there is and a mexican car yes or? there is there's uh. every um entity there is as far as racial entities there's a car for each one mm. um on the other hand, in the arts and corrections program, yes, as opposed to the general, you know, areas of the prison, people of all races come together. Yeah, um, arts and correction was one place where you can put down your differences and actually be a brother with with anybody, and that's why I feel it was so important to the prison population because you don't get that on your everyday life. That's not what's going on. So. In order to be in prison and actually be able to connect with 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 Mexicans and whites and and conversate and just do art together, it was just it basically prepared you for what's going on on the streets. Because mm. when you, like I said, when you get art incarcerated and then you're segregating yourself, you're not a part of society at all. You're not dealing with situations that's going to happen in 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 abnormal society. Um. And how was it for you, William? Was it the same thing? Um, I mean, coming from South Central, had you pretty much stuck to hanging out with, you know, with blacks? Or, or had you come from, like, an integrated environment and then in prison you had to go with this sort of segregated system? No, it was pretty much uh, – I basically 
quote unquote stuck with my own kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, Arts and Corrections uh, has no kind. It's uh, different individuals, and you know, Miss Tabolo is a um, coordinator who who doesn't care about your skin color. That is immediately thrown out of the door once you walk into Arts and Corrections. You were an individual, and together we were a collective. So, you know, it opened me to to being able to have a conversation with different individuals that was other than my skin tone or skin Mm. complexion. Mm. Well, let's hear another song, and this one is one that you, um, William, both perform on and wrote, I guess. Yes. Is that right? It's called New Jacket. The last time I seen my reflection was when I was a kid. Mirror image, half pimpish, but I broke it. It's cheer, talking about sweating bullets, more like an armory. Different pins, same shit. Hear the voices calling me, saying your time is up. The goons is coming. No irregular heartbeat, but you can hear my thumping. What choice did I have? It was him or me in solitary confinement. Ain't a place I wanted to be, but it went farther than that. They knew what I needed, an appetite for destruction, and they knew how to feed it. Phone calls, cheeseburgers with no friends outside. Thought I was doing the driving, but they took me for a ride. Now the walls getting closer, no space between my shoulders, begging for forgiveness, but for this life is over. Jacket I'm wearing, it should be straight, but it's for life and I want to change. Hope that y'all can relate. Come on. So that's the, the character GQ. Yes. And you've gotten into character there. <laughs> <laughs> and what is this new jacket? Um, the, uh, basically, it's um, a song about how uh, GQ wants to change. But um, he's, he's basically taken uh, the listener through the things that has got him here to to the point to where he he doesn't <laughs> to quote the play uh, he doesn't want to be a snitch anymore uh so he's he's trying to um trying to like basically like tell the people this you know I made a mistake and I and you know hopefully you guys will give me a chance basically so it's sort of kind of a cry for help mm. um what I, I'd like to hear you both answer this one I mean doing drama means you know, absorbing yourself in a character. Mm-hmm. A character who might have things in common with you, but it's not you. Mm. It's another person. What's that feel like? And is that a, an important thing uh, in your experience in theater? I believe it's a very important thing, um, personally, because it actually allows you to pick up another person's way of thought and thought pattern and and display it the way you will see him you you will see that person actually display it so it actually takes you into another uh realm as 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 you can say another realm of of reality and it 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 relieves you as it kinds of it it relieves a lot of stress being able to portray um another person or or basically another role take on another role from your actual role mm, mm. um both you guys have been out Mm, two years, a little more. And yeah. Herbert, you've been out two and a half? Yes. William, you've been out about two. About two. So so what's life like for you guys now? I mean, when you get out of prison, often, you know, you get, what is it, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, something like that? <laughs> well, it's $200, 200 gate money. And $200 gate money. Take you to a bus station somewhere, right? Yes. And that's that. 
Uh, and then, uh, you know, a lot of guys really don't have any plan. They don't have any place to go. What yes. what has it been like for both of you? What is it like now? Well, for me, um, I was fortunate when I um, actually had a place to go to. Uh, when I got home, though, reality set in. $200 was gone pretty fast after the bus ticket and everything else. That was, that was going pretty fast. So then you start thinking about um, how can you contribute to your family? And that contribution actually took a minute. It took a time to basically get adjusted and get back into the swing of things. Um, thankfully, like I said, um, during the arts and correction program, I, I was able to pick up some some well-needed skills to actually be employable. And I do have a job now, but it just, it took it took a good year and some change. And sometimes it takes people even longer mm. to actually um, gain employment. Mm. Well, if you're branded an ex-felon, it gets even harder to get a job than yes. it is already. And it's hard enough yes. as it is well, for everybody. Recession? I think I'm probably one of the few people that actually there's it seemed the percentage rate even go even up even more to be an ex-felon and then to receive employment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how about you William what's uh what's happened to you since you got out um you know it's it, it has really been difficult I've done uh I've done menial jobs anywhere from clipping grass to you know removing uh wood sheds and and things of that sort you know but it's it's sort of like I said, it's been hard, but, you know, I'm I know where I am and I, I know I want to do I know what I want to do. So I'm not going to allow uh, things like, oh, you can't get a job. I'm not uh, I'm not going to allow that to distract me from what I want to do. What's my ultimate goal? So I just keep pushing forward. You know, I have some individuals around me who genuinely care for my well-being. So, you know, they keep telling me, go ahead. You can you can do it. So, you know, I'm I'm just breathing and believing right now. Hmm. You guys are both involved in the arts, obviously. I mean, you're both performing. You both do music. Herbert, you said you've written or are writing a novel. Yeah, I, I wrote a novel. You've already written a novel. Yes. You know, art is a hard way to make a living, so it sounds like that's not necessarily the career choice. But is that going to remain like a big part of your lives? That's going to always be a part of my life now because it's basically I see the arts as as a way of expressing myself. When times get hard and or times get uh kind of tough or I'm down on my luck, I can always go to my song or I can always go to my writing. So it's basically another way of venting instead of actually going out on the street committing a crime. Mm. Yeah, William. Yes, that that is the the exact same thing with me. It's it it allows me to escape. the The music allows me to escape. This acting allows me to escape. You know I'm. Sure, I have to come back to this, but for the that brief moment in time, I'm I'm away. I'm 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 free, you know, and I can actually breathe. And it it it's hard, you know, for the individuals that's that's locked up in a prison right now with no arts and corrections. They're basically being sent to the yard to do absolutely nothing, and that's gonna cause something. And as far as the uh the people who run the the prisons, they're basically quote unquote. Uh, high paid babysitters right now because you're not giving the individuals something to believe in. You've, you've taken all the arts, you've taken all the, the, uh, the college courses, you've taken everything and, and you expect for something to be good to come out of this? No. 
the recidivism rate is going to shoot through the moon. It's going to be a lot of individuals coming back and forth to jail. And it's like, well, well, the, that's their fault. Wait a minute. If you were you're there to uh, help and rehabilitate. So why you guys aren't doing your job? Someone's dropping the ball here. Well, I want to thank both of you guys for your time. Thank, thank you for you, having sir. us. Appreciate that. William Brown and Herbert Wells are participants in the Poetic Justice Project and cast members of a new play about prison life called Off the Hook. It's written by Deborah Tabola, founder and artistic director of the Poetic Justice Project. This is Central Coast Public Radio KUSP. The show is the 7th Avenue Project. I'm the host, Robert Polly. Next, we're going to hear from two more cast members of Off the Hook. I'll let them introduce themselves. Uh, I am Guillermo Willie. I have been a part of Poetic Justice Project since around November 2009, or maybe a couple months before. I can't remember the exact date. I paroled from prison December 2008. I am no longer on parole. I was serving a life sentence and walking up here. So I'm walking along the beach, barefooted, and it is so awesome just to be able to do this. It's like, man, I can't. I mean, I believe it, but it's magical. You were in for how many years? 38. 38, serving a life sentence. Yes, I went in in 1970 and parole. I went in when I was 20 and came out when I was almost 59. So you maybe thought you'd never be on the beach again. Um, there was a point where I didn't care, and then there came another point where I knew I would be out, and I didn't know what that would entail. Talking with our director and founder, Deborah Tabola, and earlier today I asked her, did you ever imagine that we would be doing this? She says, no, me either. (laughs) We'll talk more about that in a minute. And yourself, sir? Uh, my name is Bull Cheney. Um, my real name's Frederick. I'm uh, 54 years old, Chumash descent. Mm-hmm. Um, Taurus, of course, because of the name Bull. I did about 17 years on the inside, um, Department of Corrections, over like a 25-year period. So most of the time, I was locked up. I um, paroled in 1997 and got off of parole in 99. Uh, since then, started a nonprofit organization um, <clears throat> that's uh, sober living homes. I met Willie inside the prison system um, when he was doing time, and I was a um, volunteer. And um, I, I agree with Willie about the, uh, the magical stuff that we're going through here together. Him and I never thought that we would be doing the things that we're doing, the poetic justice stuff, but there's, you know, sideline things that Willie and I are doing together as brothers that are just, just totally, I mean, this is awesome. And it just puts icing on the cake, the other things, the sweat lodge ceremonies and just uh, walking on the beach, watching, seeing Willie takes me back to when I first got out, you know, and started living living the good life, you know. Willie, you you were on the inside and, and Bull was coming in as a volunteer. Yes. What were you volunteering at? I was volunteering to help the Native American brothers there in the, in the 
on the native grounds in the native circle. And uh, we were doing a group called the White Bison, a 12-step program for uh, for Indian people. Mm. And this is at California Men's Colony? Yes. Which is where you spent most of your 38? Uh, the last half. Last half. The last half, yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Were you part of the Native American circle? Or? Yes. Yeah. So you've got Native American ancestry, too. Mexicans are Native Americans. Tell me about you guys um, meeting in prison and keeping that relationship going. You, you, I think, Bull, you said you're like brothers now. I mean, you're like really close now. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. My teachings, my learnings from the creator is that we've always been brothers, you know. We just um, was reminded of that when uh, when we met in that circle, mm. you know, and, and sweated. And one of the things at the sweat lodge ceremonies I noticed with Willie is that he's there's a grandpa, a couple grandpas there, older men, you know, and uh, and Willie took real good care of the grandpas, you know. He would hold a um, a piece of cardboard over his head in the sun, uh, push him in his wheelchair, help him get in and out, make food for him first, uh, you know, these things that uh, that most of us probably should be doing. And I noticed Willie was doing that. Not just Willie. There were some other brothers doing that too as well. From both you guys, um, I'm going to, go out on a limb here and say, I, I sense kind of a gentle spirit from both of you. You think that's a fair characterization? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah? Well, kindness. I mean, I'm sensing that. Is it possible to keep that alive, uh, to express that when you're, when you're in prison? Did you find it possible? Sure it is. I think it's possible to be a human being wherever you are. It's possible to turn off that humanity wherever you are. And by being a human being, I don't mean merely biological, but um, being a caring person, I think that's what a human being is. Prison doesn't make it that easy, though, does it? Um, it depends on the person. It's For myself, I went in in 1970, and I was impressionable. I didn't care about people. And I was what you might say, um, oh, darn, didn't give a darn. And so I jumped into all the negativity, all the counterproductive stuff. I was using drugs in on prison. the outside. Oh, on the outside. I went into prison. And at that time, I didn't care about people. But there was always people that cared. There were always people that would try to counsel me, but I wasn't hearing it. I wasn't interested. And um, somewhere along the lines, I began to question myself. What am I doing? I think it was in around 1982. I actually began a self-reflection. And there were times when I, it was as if there was two of me. In one sense, I'm telling myself, what am I doing? And the other part is saying, hey, I'm a soldier. This is where I'm supposed to be. No, you're not. You're a coward. You know you don't want to be a part of any of this. You know you don't want to leave your life or your destiny in the hands of anybody else. No, I'm a soldier. No, you're a coward. And, I mean, I wrestled with myself for, I'll say, several years. And I started changing. And then officially I told my friends, hey, I'm not a part of this. Don't count on me for anything. Uh... I just knew I had to follow my own, my own path. Not a part of like gang life. Is the that people, what you mean? yes, the people that yeah. I was um, running around with, and um, I said, don't count on me for anything. 
And, and that's, you, you were able to get out of it that way? Yes, yes. Mm. Oh, they tried to kill me, but oh, just life that. goes on, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, um, it's strange sometimes, the things that we get to believing, someone on the outside that isn't familiar with uh, subculture, prison subculture, couldn't understand it. But even within the prison subcultures, you get to believing you are doing the morally right thing. Your sense of values is distorted, but you never think of it as distorted. You think of it, this is the way it is. This is the way it's supposed to be. And um, you just, you become dedicated to that mindset. And somewhere along the line, you could be blessed and something jolts your life. Wait, what am I doing? And you start to question. And, what, was um, there something? You said a I, period of reflection. Was there some particular incident? I, I would say I met this person. Her name is Ginny. We met through the mail. Um, I was looking for, I'm an artist. I was looking for pictures of dancers. I wrote to different dance studios to request pictures of dancers. This one particular person at the studio responded and sent me pictures. And we began a correspondence. And when we began corresponding, I just started feeling dirty. I mean, they didn't know anything about me. Mm. There's just, and I, I know that her spirit and her husband's spirit and the spirit of their unborn children somehow reached across from, they were in San Francisco. I was in a Folsom prison, somehow touched me and affected my life. I mean, it's crazy to think of it, how this happened, but there were so much, so many coincidences in our relationship that life just put us where somehow we met. And to this day, she's my sister. I mean, that's her husband, Jim, is my brother. Their three children are my adopted god nephews, and we're just part of the same family. Um, Bull, was there a point in your life where, you know, things changed, a point you can identify? Yeah. Well, you know, I think there's a lot of points when things change. I'm still changing mm-hmm. <laughs> on a pretty regular basis, you know, um, realizing that I'm a father and um, I mean, I've been a father for a long time. And my oldest is 32 years old, or oldest living child 32 years old. So, so you were a father before you actually... Did your last uh, term in prison? Yeah. You know, I, I would say that I was a dad. A dad, you know? okay. I was a dad, not a father, <laughs> you know, because I was always gone. My kids never knew me, only like riding a, riding a motorcycle, uh, wearing a leather jacket with a bunch of other crazy guys, you know, and I'd only be there for a little while and I'd be wielding gifts, mm. you know. I wasn't really a father. I wasn't there for their, their prom. I wasn't there for their graduation. I wasn't there for their, you know, their cookies and milk, you know, all that stuff. I, I wasn't there for that kind of stuff. Well, you've you've been out for over ten years now. You got out in the late nineties. Um, was it hard to adjust? Was there an adjustment period? Um, Again, I'll say it's <clears throat> it's a constant thing. You know, um, I just celebrated uh, my ninth wedding anniversary last night, and um, being married is um, so I did it different this time. I've been married before, but this time when we got married, we courted and did all the things. And I didn't live with her; she didn't live with me. And when we got we moved in, when we got married, and then you know I found out that I didn't know how to live with a, another person. I, lo- I only knew how to live with somebody in a cell, and so 
I didn't know that. I didn't think that after four or five years out of prison that I would treat my wife like a Sally, you know? Because I used to take this to the circle with the fellas and say, hey, what's going on? And they'd tell me, well, you're you're treating her like a Sally, man. You know, be like, no way. What, what, and, what's that mean specifically to treat someone like a Sally? Well, like split the room up in half. Her, here's her mm-hmm. half. Here's my half. You, you know, I would like to write a letter, but your stuff's sitting on the desk, mm-hmm. so I can't. You know, and in prison rules, you don't touch somebody else's stuff. You know, it's just the way it is. And um, I, I said to her, hey, uh, you know, I'd like to write a letter, and uh, and she said, we'll move this stuff over and write a letter then. Your desk too, you know. And I, I know you don't understand. And she told me, like, well, no, you don't. You don't understand. And so maybe you should find out. It's t- perfectly fine. You can touch anything I have. It's it, it's yours as well. You know. I don't think you're gonna like hide it, steal it, or sell it, or anything like that. So don't worry about it. It's we're one now. So I'm still learning those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Willie, you were um. Serving a life sentence, you said? Yes. Can you tell me what, what got you in there in the first place? Oh, in the beginning, it was a youth authority sentence. I went to a youth authority in 1970. And while in the youth authority, it would have been the last part of 71 or the beginning of 72, there was a group fight between blacks and Mexicans. And I was involved. And they sent me to DVI. Uh, in Tracy, which was an adult prison with youth authority offenders there at the same time. And I went there, and while I was in uh, the youth authority, early 70s was Chicano movement, Viva la Raza. And when I got to DVI, they weren't playing Viva la Raza. It was one group of Mexicans against another group of Mexicans. DVI is... Uh, Tracy, Dual Vocational Institute. Uh And I just, the people that I knew from the past, that's who I hung out with. And they were a different group from the other ones. And that's where I just started. um, I got myself involved, later assaulted an inmate, was taken to court, received uh, assault with a deadly weapon conviction, sentenced to six months to life. Eventually ended up in San Quentin, uh, killed an inmate, received a life sentence, and that would have been 1976. And um, I still kept doing stupid stuff. And when I say stupid stuff, I don't want to sound as if I'm minimizing by just saying stupid stuff. It's um, things that, um, as a human being, I'm still bothered by uh, hurting other people. It's not. There's no uh, understanding it. And um, I kept on. And then in 1982, as I said, I began questioning myself. And that's where there was a turnaround. It was, But I finally started learning that um, I don't have the right to hurt anybody. And that was something I'd never questioned before. The uh, the inmate you killed, that was, um, was that part of a gang confrontation? Yes, yes. Were you a soldier at that point? I thought of myself as such, yes. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me anything about him? Um, I hardly knew him. What I could say is um, he had a mother and a father just like me. He had a family that loved him. 
people that cared for him, and he had as much right to live and to go through life in a peaceful way, just as much right as anybody else did. And I took that from him. <laughs> I, I created a hole in his mother's heart in his family's heart. And when Christmas time came around, birthdays came around, he wasn't there. And I knew they felt it. And we'll keep on feeling it until they're no longer here. And that's what I did. And I would hope that somehow, having gone through that experience, knowing what that feels like, that somewhere along the line, I'll be able to keep somebody else from having their life taken from them. I'll be able to help another mother not have to suffer like his mother did, and maybe keep some young person from having to learn that lesson the hard way. I'd like to talk more about that side of, of your stories, that now you guys are both doing work that is aimed at helping other people the people you work with in the cast, the, the people who see these performances, other things you do. Tell me how you both got into uh, Poetic Justice Project. Bull, you want to start? Well, I have this kind of ongoing joke that um, I had coffee with Deborah, and uh, if you ever get invited to take <laughs> coffee with Deborah, Was this inside uh, or outside? Either way, it <laughs> doesn't matter, I don't think. A cup of coffee is a pretty powerful thing. Uh, but on on the outside, and um, if you ever get invited to drink coffee with Deborah, be ready to uh, find yourself committed to doing something for other people, um, and being happy to do it. Well, Willie, um, how did you yourself get involved? Was it uh, was it when you were still in prison? Uh, yes, yes. In prison, they had had. It's no longer present but they had what they call arts and corrections and i'm an artist i paint draw and have participated in arts and corrections since 1990 in cmc east deborah tabola eventually became the arts and corrections facilitator i eventually met her and um, there came a point where <clears throat> i knew i was going to be paroled and i told deborah i'm getting out and uh, she says, well, I'll be retiring somewhere along the line. I'm going to start a nonprofit group to help paroling artists. And so I get out and I learn about computers and how to do it. And uh, I click, click, click. <laughs> and there's poeticjusticeproject.org. Mm. I get in touch with her. We talk on the phone. And one day she tells me we're going to do perform a play. We're going to start it, something that we did in prison, and would like you to come and audition for one of the roles. Mm. What acting experience did you have before this? A lifetime, a <laughs> lifetime of acting, prison. 
or I would say people in general have this role that others help them pick out and they reinforce it and the individual buys into it. You, without realizing it, you think it's you and it's a mask and somewhere along the line you question behavior and you try to peel off that mask but it's stuck on you so well it hurts. But you keep doing it anyways and little by little you just peel layer off after layer after layer and then you realize you've been, you don't want to be this person. What in the world could have caused you to be that? And you start finding freedom. You're peeling off these layers. And uh, you're just acting not even consciously. You just become that. Um, tell me about your role in uh, Off the Hook. Who do in you off, play? In Off the Hook, I play a selfish, mean-spirited character that goes by the nickname of Joker. Uh, he's supposed to be what in prison might be called a shot caller. Um, and I do my best to portray him as someone you wouldn't want to be around. I don't want to in any way make him lovable. I don't want to glamorize the role. And I try to paint him as a very ugly human being. Is he based on real people that you knew? He's he's based on um, parts of it are me, parts of it are others that I knew, parts of it are possibly a fantasy that I've had in the past of what a real man warrior is, so to speak. Bull, who do you play in this performance? I actually get to play a guy named Bull, <laughs> and, um, Running Bull, and... Um, Joker and I probably known each other a long time because we're both in there. I assume that he may be a, a lifer as well. I may be wrong, but um, it seems like we've known each other for a long time to the point where I'm bugged by what he does. Mm. You know, his his evil spirit, mean spirit, um, and taking advantage of, and uh, and I think I'm also jealous because he's he has things he's got got he's got it going on as far as the prison yard goes you know he's got the ability to set this kid up with his family with up with things he's got juice cart got a good sized one too and so i and in, in the end i end up being just like him in in a in a mm -hmm. strange way what i really like about the play is that uh in my own personal life i've gotten so much growth from it and um watched how the spirit of um of doubt can creep in even though I know I know my lines I know I know what's coming up next I know the next scene I know everything else but the spirit comes in and just kind of like blanks your your hard drive or something you know <laughs> I don't know what it does but it, it's like whoa you know and you get the spirit of doubt the next thing you know you're like oh my god I can't I can't do this you know and then when it comes your you hear your cue it comes out you know you just you kind of like gotta just turn it over and let it go you know, so it's been really cool that. And then the other thing that's really cool to me is that uh, we get response from from staff, people that are Department of Corrections staff, sheriffs, uh, and um, and ex-convicts, which is really something that really means a lot to me. That we're telling a true story. It really is like it is. You know, um, Deborah Tabola wrote it and. 
she's worked in in uh, prison with the arts and corrections program, but she's never been a convict herself. I think she was in her last life. <laughs> she knows something. <laughs> she knows some things about it, huh? She really learned a lot in her time, it sounds like. She paid a lot of attention. She really uh, did. Uh, she's also allowed us to interview. add our own twist to it. Oh, this wouldn't quite be like this. I wouldn't do it like this. So how would you do it? Like this, go ahead, do it like that. And she's given us that, um, that I'll say, liberty to a degree. It's something she all, we, tr- we do it, and then she says, yeah, I can, uh, I can go for that. And okay. Mm. I think um, when the general public talks about, thinks about parolees, um, first of all, they're scared that guys getting out of prison will just go and commit some crime instantly, or maybe not instantly. Maybe they'll just be lost in this world without any resources, you know. Um, What does a program like this do for someone? who's getting out, especially after a long term. It occupies time. It helps you learn things and find out stuff about yourself that you didn't know that you definitely is self-esteem building. Um, and it's um, and there's an end product. I mean, it's, it's like the song and dance deal kind of shows that our people aren't glum, mean, ornery people seeking to do crime all the time, that we can actually, you know, sing and dance and smile as well, and we're just, we're people, you know, and we have talents and hidden talents and that we're able, we're um, willing to discover those, or not. Some of us has discovered that, you know, we're, we're not singers, <laughs> and we're not dancers, <laughs> and, um, but we are able to, you know, I don't, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have sat up on that stage while any of that stuff was going on. For no reason at all, really, other than that's just not me, man, you know. And uh, today I can do that just to support the people that are that are doing something that I don't that I'm not good at, and, and appreciate how good they do it, you know. And you actually tell them, you know, we do a lot of pats on the back in, there. We tell each other that hey, that was good, man. That was good. That was cool. Thank you for what you do, you know. Um, um, that's good stuff. It's just really good stuff. Willie, you are a guy who got out of prison pretty recently. What does involvement in a program like Poetic Justice do for you? It gives me something that I enjoy doing. Even if I wasn't involved with Poetic Justice Project, I would be living my life as a productive human being. This provides me a different avenue for that productivity. It gives me an avenue to be able to support someone else who might not be doing as well if they weren't in Poetic Justice Project. When we invite people into our group, into our family, we let them know we want to present a positive image to the public and let the public see the transformation is possible. We want them to see that here are inmates that came out and they're doing something that also benefits the community. They're not merely living a crime-free life. They're also benefiting the community. And if a person wants to follow that, they can be a part of the group. Um, There's people that are a part of the project now that have told us, 
you know, if I wasn't doing this, I don't know if I would have made it. And it's great being able to provide that and nah, stay over here. And we, I mean, it's like we're a family and we try to keep each other, support each other. Uh, Willie, you've been out um, two years now about, right? Yes. Since 2008. Um, After 38 years, what did that feel like? I mean, can you describe the moment uh, when they released you and and what happened and what it felt like? Well, I know it was funny. When I got in the parking lot, a parole officer took me from CMC East to, um, I think it was Oxnard, and then another parole officer picked me up, took me to San Bernardino. But when they first put me in the car... And she's in the parking lot driving, and it's like my stomach goes back. I think, man, this is fast. And I look at the speedometer, and it's just like 30 miles an hour. And, I said, wow. <laughs> and then they give me a ride home, and it's like, I don't know, it's just so awesome, so beautiful. I get close to my house, and I see mountains. And I remember, well, that's where I lived for years, and I never, I never saw the mountains. I never saw how beautiful the sky was. I learned to appreciate by being in prison, I learned appreciation. And in the past, I would just, everything I took for granted. I mean, the, I look at the mountains now, they're so beautiful. Clouds in the sky, they're so beautiful. The sky is so beautiful. I'd just, I'd see something, I'd cry. I'd be doing something and just out of nowhere, I'd just start crying. And not from sad but just appreciation, thankfulness. And there came a point where I wasn't crying, and I questioned myself because it's something I don't want to lose. And now I can be walking down the beach. I can cry. And it's just so beautiful. And it's so beautiful being able to cry and know that it's okay and not um, that sissy stuff. I still feel the same way. I, simple things for me um, are real points of gratitude. I went to get my daughter because she was sick the other day from school. And she told me on the phone, well, Dad, I'm not really sick. I just don't, I don't, I don't want to be here right now. And, uh, and I didn't question. I just said, okay, we'll go to the, let's do the next right thing. Go to the office, tell the nurse you don't feel very well or whatever it is. And let them take, you know, there's a reason why you don't feel like you want to be there. And because I can't just come and get you, you're part of the school. So on the way there, I got I got choked up. Mm. You guys have both seen the um, correctional system from from both sides, inside and outside. I'm just wondering if if you had the power, um, what one or two things would you change about it? Art programs, art programs, add return to education. A lot of those things have been taken out. Well, thank you both for your time. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Bull Cheney and Guillermo Willie are members of the Poetic Justice Project. You can learn more at poeticjusticeproject.org. And you can find out more about this show at 7thAvenueProject.com. I'm Robert Polly. So long until next week. Come on, let me hear you say. Come Come take a closer